You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the scripture text will be projected on the screen, but I invite you to follow along in your own copy of God's word as we go through this passage together on this baptism and new member Sunday. Well, my kids like to play a game together when they're bored. If you are uh, parents of young children, you would relate to this. When your kids are bored, often those are the most special moments when they use their creativity to keep themselves occupied. And, and this game that they play, um, it doesn't have a name, but it has an associated song, which, yes, I will sing for you in a few moments. And it involves identifying two things that each taste good by themselves, and then you combine them and you see if it still tastes good or not. And so they would sing, do you like spinach? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And yes, my kids do like spinach. It's heavily flavored by soy sauce. And of course, my wife finds creative ways to feed them green things. Do you like, and do you like ice cream? Well, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Do you like spinach ice cream? No, I don't. Ew, yucky. That's how it goes. And they come up with permutation upon permutation, iteration upon iteration of different combinations of foods. Do you like popcorn? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Do you like juice? Yes, I do. Do you like popcorn juice? Ew, yucky. Well, once in a while, they actually come up with a combination that works, like chocolate. Chocolate you can put with anything, it'll work. Do you like chocolate and pizza? Yes, I do. Do you like chocolate and spaghetti? Yes, I do. Chocolate works with anything. Well, the game is built on the premise that things that are good by themselves don't always remain good when they're joined together. You can actually spoil a good thing by combining it with something that it was not meant to be combined with. And my wife, she likes me, and she likes things fixed around the house. But if she combines me with fixing things around the house, disaster is going to happen. Now, what about the church? Well, what happens when you put different people from different backgrounds, with different personalities and different values together into one community, what do you get? Do you get something that is yummy? Or do you get something that is yucky? What do we get? Well, in our text today, the Apostle Paul is going to address this very question of how you can bring different people together and end up with something good. He's writing to a church that was characterized by differences and divisions. They didn't do a good job in bringing different things together to make something good together. They didn't do a good job. This church was characterized by division. There were some in this church who thought that their superior knowledge or their superior giftings made them superior Christians. And that, that caused divisions because they didn't want to associate with those who didn't know as much or who didn't do as much as them. They, they chose to exalt those who were eloquent in speech or who spoke in tongues or who otherwise impressed by the force of their personality. And the result was that they looked down on those who didn't meet their standards. 
Well, such a church will not survive for long, which is one of the reasons why it is such a high priority for the Apostle Paul to address in his first letter to the Corinthian church. Because he recognized that Jesus himself said, no kingdom divided against itself will stand. Every kingdom divided against itself will fall. Now, churches, we know, sadly, they they die for many reasons. And one of the leading causes of death is division. You could call division ecclesiological cancer because the threat comes not from outside the body, but from within the body. Churches don't tend to explode as much as they implode. And the remedy to division is unexpected. A lot of churches will say, well, in order to avoid division, we need to stop talking about hard things. We need to stop emphasizing sound doctrine. We need to stop talking about sin. We just got to be as welcoming and as broadly uh, comprehensive as possible. But, but what Paul does in this text is he shows us that the remedy to division is much simpler. It is much simpler than that. So let me begin by reading our text today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 26. This is the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The title of this sermon is Unity in the Body of Christ. Unity in the Body of Christ. And our text today suggests three ways that churches can move from division to unity. Three ways that different people from different backgrounds with different personalities can become united as one new community. First, we are to change the way that we see the church. Second, we, we do it by changing the way that we see ourselves. And third, we are to change the way that we see others. Let's begin with our first point, changing the way that we see the church. Paul uses one of his favorite metaphors for the church in verse 12. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. 
Now notice how Paul emphasizes both the unity of the body and the diversity of the body. He actually emphasizes by saying it twice in reverse order. He goes from unity to diversity when he says the body is one and has many members. And then he goes from diversity to unity when he says all the members of the body, though many, are one body. And he does that to show us that neither unity nor diversity are more important than the other. They are equally important to a healthy body. And Paul, of course, is talking about the body because he's saying what's true of the body here is also true of the church. But notice that at the end of verse 12, he doesn't say, so it is with the church. He says, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. The church is so closely associated with the Lord Jesus Christ that he actually calls the church Christ in verse 12. That the church is the body of Christ, not in the sense that we are identical to him, but in the sense that we are united to him. The, the analogy, the other biblical metaphor for, uh, for the church and his, its relationship with Christ is, of course, marriage. Marriage, where, where a husband and a wife, after they're married, they, they retain their distinct identities and personalities, and yet they can truly be called one flesh. Christ, in the same way, enters into a spiritual union with his bride, which is the church. And that is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, he says, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you, you, you fed them when they were hungry, you gave them water when they were thirsty, you visited them when they were in prison, you clothed them when they were naked, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters, you did it for me. How you treat the church reflects how you treat Christ himself, because the church is the bride of Christ. Now, Paul talks about the members of the body in verse 12, the members of the body, and he's not using the word member here in the sense of being a member of an exclusive club or an organization. He's, he's talking about a member being a constituent part of a whole. Uh, there was a time in older English when when the body parts were called the body members, the members of the body were the parts of the body. And so you can translate that phrase also, uh, the parts of the body or the organs and limbs of the body. The body has many organs and limbs, just as the church has many organs and limbs. And, and it's important for us to keep that image in mind when we think about church membership, because we can think that, that church membership is, is about being on a list, or having exclusive member benefits. Uh, but, but it's not about that. It's not just about attending meetings. It's not about being on a special list. It's not about helping to make decisions. Church membership is about being an organic part of a greater whole, of a living, breathing entity. It's about the organs and limbs of the church. It's about recognizing that the health of the parts determines the health of the entire whole. And that is why we don't just measure the health of our members here at Sovereign Grace by what ministries they're a part of or by how they're serving, though that is certainly part of the equation. You're not really a healthy part of the body if you are just taking in the church as a spectator or as an observer. We measure the health of our members by how they serve, but more importantly, whether they're trusting in the Lord, whether they're confessing their sins, whether they're being nourished regularly by the word, and whether they're developing spiritual friendships. 
People can serve in all the ministries they want, but if they're not doing well spiritually, that church is not a healthy church. If my hands are broken, I can still put them to work and I can still get something done, but no one would say that my body is healthy. Working is certainly not going to make my hands healthy. To be healthy, my hands need to be cared for. They need to be mended. They need to be healed for my body to become healthy again. In the same way, spiritual health comes not just from serving, but from the medicine of God's word, from the exercise of prayer, and from the fresh air of Christian fellowship. That's what makes healthy members, and that is what makes healthy churches. Paul goes on in verse 13. He says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What, what Paul's doing here is he's identifying the basis of our unity. The basis of our unity is not that we have a common language or a common socioeconomic class. The basis of our unity is the work of the Holy Spirit. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We weren't brought together by many different spirits, brought into many different bodies, but by one spirit into one body. And in the Corinthian church, that meant that people who didn't typically associate with one another, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free men, they didn't tend to run in the same social circles. They were able to be brought together into one body on the same basis of the one spirit. The same is true today. None of us belong to this body of believers because we're good enough because we check off all the right boxes, not because we're wealthy enough, not because we're educated enough. We belong to this body of believers because the Holy Spirit has moved in our hearts. The Holy Spirit has brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life, as symbolized in baptism. We all come equally needy, equally broken, equally weak, equally unable to earn our way into the body of Christ. So when the Spirit brings us to Christ, we have no reason to boast. We have no reason to be proud or arrogant. We come humble and broken. The the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross for all who are drawn by the Spirit. Paul uses the language of the Spirit baptizing us into the one body of Christ and even drinking of one spirit, because there was always meant to be a close association between conversion and baptism. As as, as soon as someone repented of their sins and put their trust in Christ as their Savior and Lord in the early church, they were baptized. They were baptized right away. Baptism was never meant to be for the strong and for the mature. It was meant for spiritual infants who were just learning what it meant to begin following Jesus. Baptism was not for those who had arrived. It was for those who had begun. And that is why baptism in sovereign grace and in many other like-minded churches, baptism is associated with church membership. If, If you are a Christian, if you profess faith in Christ, you desire to serve him, you are baptized, and when you are baptized, you become a church member. You don't need to be baptized and then meet some higher standard in order to earn your way to church membership. Once you put your faith in Christ, you belong to him. And if you belong to him, you belong to his body. My friends, this is one of the ways that church unity is possible. You bring together different people with different backgrounds and different personalities and you can make them one. You can make them a united 
body. If we see the church as the body of Christ brought together, not by our works, not by our personality, not by our commonalities, but by the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, then we're not going to exalt ourselves. We're not going to put other people down. We're not going to cause divisions because other people aren't like us. We won't be cruel or, or harsh with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we recognize that that would be akin to being cruel and harsh to our own bodies. Instead, we will humbly serve others with a desire to build them up because the stronger the body becomes, the stronger the parts become. But sometimes the barrier to unity and fellowship doesn't come from how we see the church, but how we see ourselves. Sometimes we don't, perhaps you, you've experienced this, where you don't believe that you're good enough or spiritual enough or gifted enough to belong to the church. Perhaps you could be a, an observer, or perhaps you could be on the periphery, but you can never truly belong. You can never say, I am part of that body. I am a part of its health and its growth. I'm contributing to, to whether it is a strong or a weak body. Well, that requires a different kind of remedy. It requires changing the way that we see ourselves, which leads to our second point. Paul addresses these people in verses 14 to 16, and he does so by introducing us to Mr. Foot and Mrs. Ear. He says in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now both Mr. Foot and Mrs. Ear, though they are different parts of the body, they have one thing in common. They don't believe that they belong to the body. Mr. Mr. Foot says, I do not belong to the body. Mrs. Ear says, I do not belong to the body. For Mr. Foot, it's because he's not a hand. He doesn't have the, the fine motor skills of the fingers on the hand, so he can't type or draw or he can't hold things or use tools. He's, he's often out of sight because he's, he's on the lower part of the body. He's often covered with sandals or socks or shoes. And, and if we're honest, sometimes he smells. Mrs. Ear doesn't believe she's part of the body because she's not an eye. She doesn't perceive the world through sight no one's writing poems about how beautiful she is because she's not in the front of the face but on the sides where people tend to ignore unless you have big jutting ears like me. She's not located in the prime position of the front of the face. Now both Mr. Foot and Mrs. Ear feel that they don't belong to the body because they're not like the body parts that seem to be more important. Now perhaps you feel the same. You look around and you see Christians doing all the right things. You, you, you hear them singing beautifully. You hear them talking about theology so confidently. You hear them praying with so much passion and you think, I'm not like that. I could never be like that and therefore I could never truly belong. Well, Paul pastors those who feel like that with four responses. Four responses. The first is this. In one sense, it doesn't matter what you believe about yourself. You're still part of the body. He says that in verse 15. He says, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 16, Mrs. Ear saying, well, I'm not an eye. I don't belong to the body. He says, that would not make it any less a part of the body. He, he's saying to the Mr. Foots and the Mrs. Ears of the world that, they, that just because they're thinking that they do not belong to the body doesn't make them any less a part of the body. In some sense, what they think about themselves is completely irrelevant. 
If their trust is in Christ, the one spirit has baptized them into one body and they belong to the body regardless of what they think. No doubts or struggles can change that. Paul's second response is he appeals to the unique functions of the parts of the body. He says in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Paul's saying to Mr. Foote and Mrs. Ear, don't don't just focus on, on what you don't have. Don't just focus and think about how other people are more gifted, how they're better, how they're stronger than you. Focus on what you do have. Focus on what God has given you, what gifts and personalities and, and ways that you can contribute to the health of the body that nothing else can replicate. Mr. Foot, you may not be able to type on a keyboard or play a violin, but you can, you stand. You're what makes the body stand up. You, you make the body walk. You make the body run. The body couldn't move without you. Mrs. Ear, you may not be able to see, but you can hear. People may not admire you for your beauty, but you're the one who makes beautiful conversations possible. Every part of the body has a purpose, which leads to Paul's third response in verse 18. He says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Listen, God is the one who designed the body, and God is the one who designs the church, not just the church universal, but local churches. God is the one who designed and composed and brought together Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford. Now notice the emphasis on God's careful attention to detail. He says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God doesn't make any mistakes. God God doesn't compose the body so that there's a dangling ear that doesn't do anything or a foot jutting out of the middle of your body. Every part has its purpose. Every part has its place. God chose it that way. And that means that if you say you do not belong, or that you have nothing to offer because you're not like others, you're not just saying something about yourself. You're actually saying something about God. You're saying that God made a mistake, that that God brought you here by accident. He he brought you to a body where you have nothing to contribute. But God doesn't make mistakes. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Paul's fourth response highlights just how silly it is to think like Mr. Foot and Mrs. Ear. He says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Listen, we, we all know how ridiculous it would be to call a pile of eyeballs a body, or to call a heap of feet a body. And, that's, and yet that's exactly what we're saying when we say we can't be part of the body if we're not like the people around us. The body of Christ doesn't just need a lot of eyeballs. It doesn't just need a lot of feet or ears, nor does it just need a lot of mouths. And I say that as one of the mouths of this church. I speak a lot. Because God has called me to be a herald of the gospel. And sometimes young people in particular can say, well, if I want to be a mature Christian, i got to be like the pastors. i got to become a preacher. But that would be just to have a church full of mouths. I mean, I have the privilege of, of proclaiming God's word. But I recognize that that is only possible because the hands and the feet and the heart of Christ have been at work throughout the week. We need every part. Every part needs each other because there are many parts and yet one body. And if we don't have many parts, 
We don't have a body at all. Lastly, we need to change the way that we see others. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You might notice that Paul is changing the emphasis here where he, he's, he's focusing on a different group of people. If the first group thought, well, the church doesn't need me, the second group is thinking, I don't need the church. If the first group doubted whether they belonged with others, the second group doubted whether others belonged with them. They're very different groups of people. One is struggling with self-esteem, the, the other struggling with an excess of it. And yet the result in the church is the same. It's isolation and it's division. It doesn't matter if the members of the body are cowering in the shadows or they're pushing people away. The result is division and isolation. And the result is the weakening of the body in the absence of unity. But whereas the first group needed to change the way that they saw themselves, this second group needs to change the way that they see others. Paul addresses that in verses 22 to 24, where he writes, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Paul is showing us just how wrong we get evaluations. We think we know people. We, th we think we know who are the important people, the, the influential people, the powerful people, the people who are going to get something done. Paul says, what, what you see as weak, God sees as indispensable. What you see as, as deserving less honor, God has given greater honor. You could say what, what we see as, as the parts of the body that don't have power to accomplish anything, God does more through them. Paul is giving us a window both in the mind of man and in the mind of God. And just how different our thinking is from God's. God chooses the weak things of the world. This is his modus operandi. This is the way he moves. This is the way he works. If you, if you know 1 Corinthians, you know that this is what Paul addresses in chapter 1. Do you remember? Where Paul is talking about how God could have called anyone. He had the sovereign choice to decide who would compose the body of Christ, which is the precious, beloved bride of his son. Who did he choose? God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Such is the mystery of the mind of God, that God chooses the weak to do amazing things, so that he alone would receive the glory. Verse 25 gives us another reason why God chooses the weak. It says, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that... This is the purpose, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Listen, there, there is an unbreakable connection, an inextricable union between what you honor and what you care for. What you honor and what you care for. We saw that in 1 Timothy, for those who were part of our series there, where Paul says, honor those who are truly widows. How, how do you honor them? by providing for their needs, 
by, by caring for them physically, materially, and spiritually. How do you, uh, you are to give double honor to those who labor in preaching and teaching. How? By not muzzling the ox when it treads the grain. That is to, to provide preachers and elders of the church their wages. We, we honor people by caring for them, and we care for people because we honor them. If you don't care about the body, it means that you don't honor the body. And if you don't care for the weak, it's because you don't honor the weak. But God honors them. God honors the weak. God honors the obscure, the weak, the hidden parts of the body. He even reserves the greater honor for them. So, so if we are to honor what God honors, if, if we are to have the mind of Christ and think the way that God thinks about people, we will care for the entire body, especially those who are seen to be weak. Listen, church unity doesn't just mean the absence of conflict or division. Church unity means the presence of mutual care for the strong and for the weak. Do you you see that? Paul's talking about unity, and he's not just saying, don't fight, don't disagree, just get along. He's saying, care for one another, love one another, honor those who are dishonored, lift up those who are weak. That's what true church unity looks like. Our text today ends with a final picture of unity in verse 26. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. I had a beautiful moment of living this out in my tag on Wednesday when one particular member of my tag was going through a really hard time. And at the end of our tag, one member of my tag just said, I feel your pain, and I'm hurting for you. I'm hurting for you. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. They don't get jealous. They don't get envious. When when other people go through celebration moments in their lives, moments to rejoice. Anthony, Anthony Thistleton illustrates this well when he writes, we do not say to a victorious runner, I congratulate your legs. Congratulations go to the person. Success results from the conjoint coordination of all the limbs of the body. Conversely, pain or damage in a specific body part can drag down the health of the whole psychological system. The person becomes unwell. I mean, haven't you experienced this? When when you feel unwell, you don't just say, well, that's just that part of my body hurting. I, I can move on. You know, when, when I get severe allergies, and sometimes I get really bad allergies, I don't just say, poor sinuses, and move on with my life. I, I'm sprawled on the couch. My whole body is incapacitated. I don't feel like reading my Bible. Uh, how we feel physically affects everything about us, including how we're doing spiritually. Or when I win a board game against my kids, which is becoming increasingly rare these days, my legs don't get jealous of my brain. They don't say, oh, the brain, you know, how he worked through that board game is just amazing. I wish I could get that attention. No, the honor goes to the body. I rejoice as one person and I suffer as one person. In the same way, the body of Christ is meant to suffer as one body, to rejoice as one body, weeping with those who weep, 
and rejoicing with those who rejoice. So, what is keeping you from living as a member of the body of Christ? It may be because you're not a Christian, and and that is a legitimate reason. You can't be part of the body of Christ if you haven't put your trust in Christ. But, But if you feel God calling you, you recognize that but all the voices that you have heard this past week, that they pale in comparison to the voice of God speaking to you in this moment through the preaching of God's word. And you say, I want that. I, I want to belong to that body. I, I want this Holy Spirit who, who makes us into one. I want this Christ who is strong and kind, who is gentle and lowly, who calls sinners to himself. Then you can come to him. You don't need to get your life together. You don't have to reach a certain level of personal righteousness. Christ came not for the well, but for the sick. And if you you do, if you you believe that, that Jesus did come to rescue you, that he did indeed die for your sins, and he rose again on the third day to, to conquer sin and suffering and death and the evil Satan who rules over this world, If you believe that he is the eternal son of God, then your life will be transformed. You will not be the same. You will not just be able to add on something to your current way of living. You will die to yourself. But in dying to yourself, you will rise to a new life where you will encounter true life for the first time. Come to Jesus and be part of his body. And for my fellow believers, God calls you today to honor and care for one another not just those who are highly esteemed by the world, but by those who are highly esteemed by God. Don't just seek out those who are like you. Seek out those who are not like you. Care for the weak. Seek out those who have illnesses, disabilities, those who have special needs. It is no coincidence that the reason why the, the, the medical system in the Western world, our commitment to doing whatever we can to preserve life, regardless of who they are. It's no coincidence that 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 philosophy, that that commitment came from the world of Christianity. It doesn't make sense on any other basis. We value those who are weak, including those who have disabilities and illnesses and special needs, those who are poor or marginalized or forgotten, for those who don't seem to have much to offer in the eyes of the world. But God has chosen to accomplish great things through them. Be on the lookout for those who sit by themselves. Go to them, sit with them, invite them into your home. None who belong to Christ should be alone. All should be welcomed and honored and cared for because whatever you did for the least of the brothers and sisters of Christ, you did for him. And so my Beloved church, may the body of Christ here at Sovereign Grace Church grow strong as the individual parts grow strong through the mutual care and honor that we provide to one another. Let's pray. Father, your thoughts are not our thoughts, your ways are not our ways. Why you would choose the weak things of the world is in some ways beyond our comprehension, but it is a reminder of your great power 
to work your divine purposes through those who are not impressive, who are not gifted, who don't seem to have much to offer, that you would take those people and bring glory to yourself. I pray that our church would be characterized by this kind of culture where the weak can say that they belong, where, where those who are different from one another can say that they are one because the one spirit has baptized us into one, into one body. So we ask this, Father, for, for the joy of your people and for the glory of your name. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.